Hey guys, let's uh, let's pray together. I've had a bit of a harder week this week. It's just been some stuff going on in our lives that's been difficult. We're we're fine, but uh, I could just use some prayer as I sat down to uh, record this for Sunday. So would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for your word. I pray that as we encounter your Bible, your word this morning, Lord, that you would speak to us of our need of you and that you would grow us more and more deeply in our life with you. And I pray that your words, Lord, would flow and you would speak to our hearts today in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we started talking about the plagues in Egypt and we did uh, the beginning of of chapter 8. And then I kind of wanted to do a little bit of a cursory view over uh, 9 and 10, which we've kind of done in talking about the plagues and this back and forth that's happening. Today, I want to focus on chapters 11 and 12. And instead of reading through it all, I'm going to read through it as we go and uh, kind of focus on different chunks of it. This is, again, Israel's situation. They are enslaved to Egypt. God had called them to be a blessing to the nations. Uh, They've been in Egypt for some 400 years or so, not all that time enslaved, but for a good chunk of time they've been enslaved. And Pharaoh has shown his character in not letting them go. He's hardened his heart against the call of God to let them go and let them be a people and let them worship him. And now we've heard the final plague is coming. These plagues have come. And Pharaoh has said, no, I'm not going to let them go. And God said, you please let, the, you know, let them go. Moses has spoken. Pharaoh let them go. If not, the plague will come to show that God is more powerful than the supposed gods of Egypt. These lowercase g gods, these idols of Egypt. And we talked last week about how, yes, we may not be into idol making nowadays in terms of statues with stone and gold and whatnot. But we, uh, the practice of idol worship has not stopped. And we talked last week a little bit about what are some of the idols that we struggle with on our own hearts and where has God come to tear those down? Maybe our own pride, maybe our desire to worship our success or our money or pleasure or some other thing that we put at the center of our hearts. And I listened to a sermon about this uh, just this week, and the the pastor was saying, sometimes it's the good gifts of God, our family, our work, that uh, we can then make into idols. We can begin to treasure these and worship them and serve them in a way that is not healthy or holy. And so don't uh, just think, well, it's just the sinful stuff somehow that becomes idol. No, the slippery thing about idolatry is it's often the good things that then, you know, our desire to worship, our desire to revere something, our desire for meaning, our desire for pleasure, these things are often God-given, but they can go sideways on us and we can seek to find fulfillment in them in the wrong places. And then that becomes idolatry. So here Yahweh, God, is tearing down Egypt and Pharaoh's idolatry. And now we read the final plague is coming. So if you have your Bibles with you, open them up to Exodus 11 and 12 as we go through this passage, starting in Exodus 11. Verses 1 to 3, the Lord said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So notice this, the final plague is coming and the Lord gives the people favor to the Egyptians. They're happy to see them go. And what do they give them? 
the gold, the silver, this fine jewelry. And this stuff's going to come up later, uh, later on in the book. But this isn't extortion. This is actually something like back wages, right? It's like they're being finally justly rewarded for all of their, all of their slave labor that they've done over the years. So there's favor in the sight of the people to let uh, Israel Hebrews go. Now verse four. So Moses said, thus says the Lord after midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who's behind the handmill and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know the Lord makes a distinction between Israel and Egypt. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you, and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. And then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. Why is this passage important for us. I think it's important to notice that God makes the distinction between Egypt and Israel. This is not just another God among many gods. There's a vast difference, God is saying, between the idols of your imagination, Pharaoh, these Egyptian deities, and the Lord God who reigns and lives. Pharaoh will not heed you, God says he's going to have to harden Pharaoh's heart. God has been shouting out to Pharaoh again and again for him to repent. And Pharaoh has resisted with a calloused heart. And now it comes to this. And so we've, as the ante is built with all of the plagues, and as all these Egyptian deities are being dismantled, and the power that uh, their supposed power is being shown to be worthless and unreal by God, now... Uh, as Pharaoh has continued to resist, it's going to come to this. Now, chapter 12. First uh, six verses. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of that month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Verse 2, God pushes a big reset button. We've been having this exchange with Pharaoh, Moses, and the plagues, and now God says, what I'm about to do is so significant, it is now going to mark you as a people, as a new New Year's. I'm going to mark your deliverance out of Egypt. And so this is now a starting new, a new year, a new system of telling time based on this event. There comes a point, folks, in your life, in my life, in a person's life, where everything can change and change for the better. When we move from bondage into freedom, or we move from guilt into innocence, from unrighteousness to approved 
and pure before God. And that's what's begun here for Israel. Now look at verse 3. You take a lamb and he comes and lives with you. You bring it into your household. How nice, how sweet. And for four days you get pet lamb and you probably name him and the kids play with him and he is soft and cuddly. And that's going to be all the more significant when we see what happens with the lamb. This is also noticed done in families. This is not a lamb for each individual. It's not one lamb for the nation. It's a lamb for the families. And remember, there's no temple, there's no priests, there's no altar. The responsibility of obeying God and living for him in this passage centers down to the family unit. And I want us all to catch that today because parents, we have a sacred responsibility to pass on our faith and legacy to our children, to let our homes be places of worship and to let it be a place where the word is taught and lived out where forgiveness and grace are extended and experienced even in our brokenness where the where the gospel is embodied in how we live our lives so that our children can grow in Christ this is done together as a family now the lamb has to be a special lamb verse 5 it has to be the best you can find it has to be pure and then verse 7 You'll take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. Wait, what? <laughs> We're talking about the lamb, right? Where does the blood come from? It comes from killing the thing that is dear and innocent and beloved. And now it's just blood. We've moved from the sweet, precious lamb that's lived with us to the blood of the lamb, the innocent blood of the lamb. Let me read verse 7 to 11. You shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted. Its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it. In haste, it is the Lord's Passover. You take the pet lamb, the one you've brought into your home, and you slaughter it. You gather its blood and you take it and you put it on the doorposts and on the lintel frame of the house. You splash the blood, we find out, with a hyssop branch on either side and on the top. Before it could be eaten, the blood had to be applied to the home. You'd see it every time you walked in and out. The blood would be prominent and visible. And then you can eat it. And the lamb isn't just can be eaten, but must be eaten. The lamb will come into contact with fire and bitter herbs and you let none of it remain until morning. You don't pick and choose which parts of the lamb you get. You take it all or nothing. And then verse 11 this is the Lord's Passover. The Passover is God's in the sense that he is providing it as a rescue from the plague of the firstborn. The Passover sacrifice is God's appointed rescue. The angel of destruction is going to sweep through in every house without the blood applied. Is going to experience the death of the firstborn. And God has given this, we read, as an institute for the future. 
Let me read to you verse 12 to 14. I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. And we've seen that. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. This becomes a powerful drama. And how is that? Because the lamb, the sacrifice, the blood, the eating together, all works in this powerful, dramatic act of sacrifice and rescue. We see it here with the lambs and we discover that Jesus will be the one to live out and complete this drama for all of creation. This theme of redemption, of blood, innocent blood given for the life of another is picked up throughout the New Testament. Jesus becomes our Passover lamb. Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says this, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. As you really are unleavened, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And because of that sacrifice, Jesus, our Passover lamb, you can be cleansed and forgiven. John, in one, uh, John one twenty nine says, Jesus is the lamb of God. And he's thinking specifically of the Exodus story, who takes away the sin of the world. We also, there's a lot of talk about that when Jesus dies, it's actually during Passover, right when the lambs would be slaughtered. Think about this too. Just like the lamb coming and living with the family, so Jesus has come to live with us, to be among us. John 1, 1 says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Eugene Peterson translates that passage as, The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Like the lamb coming to live in the home, Jesus came to bond with us, to laugh and to love and to eat and drink with us, to teach us, to be among us. And as, the, as, as Yahweh, as God with us, to heal and to restore and to forgive sins. And Jesus, our Passover lamb, in the same way that he has come to move in, into the house, move into the neighborhood, he's also the perfect spotless Passover lamb. And he lays down his life, not just for the nation, not just for some people, but for all people. So that that sacrifice, just like the blood on the on the doorposts of the of the lamb, needs to be applied now. The blood of Jesus needs to be applied to the doorposts of every heart and of every home. Friends, the blood of the Passover lamb, Jesus, needs to be applied to you and to your life today. The sacrifice of Jesus, our Passover lamb, is spotless. There's no moral or spiritual imperfection. And it's only his life given for you and me that atones for our sin. And even in his death, he is touched just like the lamb that is met with fire and bitter herbs. Jesus was touched by the fire, the wrath of God's judgment against sin, just like the Passover lamb. And he received the bitter cup of God's judgment at his death. Even he has lifted up the, the sponge on a branch of hyssop, the bitter herbs, that bitter uh, sponge filled to meant, meant to help with the pain at the cross. We receive Jesus fully, 
No parts are reserved. We need him fully, all of him. And if you want to sit down with Jesus, our Passover lamb, we need all of him. We don't pick and choose what parts of God please us. We need all of him. He is our rescue. I need all of you, Jesus, in my life. And so the Passover of Exodus 12 is the prelude of the new Exodus, one through the final ultimate Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. In fact, at the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus meets with Moses and Elijah, they talk about his new Exodus that will happen at Jerusalem. And of course, he's going as the Passover lamb to launch a new Exodus movement for all of humanity out of sin and death and into God's salvation life. And all of that is paralleled and preluded here in the book of Exodus. Now, uh, I want to read again verses 12 to 13. Well, I'll just mention them again. Remember, to be spared the judgment of the firstborn, the people had to apply the blood of the lamb to each home. The blood of the lamb was essential to what God required. When God sent the destroyer, he looked for one thing. Now imagine in your mind that there's an Israelite who says, this is just some weird archaic custom. I'm not doing this. What would happen when God showed up? That person might say, but I'm part of Israel. By virtue of my ethnicity, by virtue of my race, I should get in. God says it's not about your race. It's not about your skin color. It's about whether you've applied the blood of the lamb to your life. Friends, can I say today in a time that is full of violence and race politics, that God made every color of skin and God loves all nationalities, but your ethnicity does not gain you automatic merit or demerit before God. The biggest question is not what color is your skin, but have you applied the blood of Jesus, the Passover lamb, to your life? They had to apply the blood of the lamb to their homes. And imagine an Egyptian family, they hear this. They hear what's going on in Egypt. They're tired of Pharaoh. They're tired of him ignoring their t uh, God's call to release Israel. They're tired of all the plagues. They've been suffering along with it. And imagine an Egyptian family. They hear this. They say, I'm going to apply the Passover blood of the lamb, just as Yahweh's been telling Moses and Aaron, and they do it. What happens? It says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. I think if an Egyptian family covered the blood on their door frames, they would be spared the judgment of the firstborn. Because it's not about how good or bad you are. It's not about how smart or not you are. It's not about your family heritage. It's not about your race or your privilege or your fragility or any of those things. It's about whether you have applied the blood of Jesus to cover and atone for your sins on the blood on the doorposts of your heart. It's about demonstrating a trust in the blood of the Passover lamb that saves us from death. It's about embracing the life and the love of Jesus and applying him to our hearts to bring us into salvation. Verses 14 to 20 is a longer stretch 
about keeping the feast, not working on certain days, removing the leaven from the houses, certain days of the month and how to keep this feast. And it's a long stretch and it can feel a bit repetitive. And why does God keep repeating it? Why does God keep repeating things? Because they're so important. The picture of leaven or yeast being removed, this is often a metaphor for sin or corruption. And what God is saying here, you need to remember to remove the leaven. Remember to keep this feast because when you walk out of Egypt, I want you to walk out clean. See, God isn't just interested in delivering Israel out of slavery, but he wants to bring them into a new relationship. Notice the order. You are delivered and set free by the Passover lamb. And then you shall live your life without leaven, without sin. And that's true of us today. See, sometimes people get this backwards. They think, well, I'll clean up my sin and then God will deliver me. God says, no, that's backwards. I'll clean you up. Then you learn how to live in me. It's believing, then becoming, not becoming, then believing. Obey God and submit. Give your life to Jesus and then allow him to start to transform who you are and begin the process, the process of giving away yourself, giving away your sin, giving away your pride and greed and letting God by his Holy Spirit begin to grow his fruit in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, etc. Notice verses 21 and 24. God, uh, Moses, sorry, God, Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select the lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that's in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that's in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of this house until the morning for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and your sons forever. This is an ordinance for generations to follow. Passover is communicating God's redemption and deliverance on that side of the cross. But now having been observed and remembered for generations, we find it fulfilled and completed ultimately in the person and work of Jesus Christ, our new Passover. And Jesus, in the moment, the weekend of the crucifixion, he reinterprets the basic elements of Passover. Because now here is a new lamb and a new bread and a new cup that is given in new covenant for you. Do you see how strong this connection is? Notice verse 26. What do they do in response to all of this? When your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. That's a great response. It's a great response to God's act of deliverance and redemption for humanity. And of course, the question must be, what will be your response to Jesus? I hope that you believe it and receive it, just as they did. Verse 28, the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. They went and did what God had called them to do, and they worship the Lord. Now, verse 29, 
is very difficult. Usually as we're going through the Bible, these are good, encouraging words. And this is an important word. But let's face it, if we want to take the Bible seriously, we don't avoid this. And it is sobering and it is terrible. Verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. The Lord struck the firstborn of the land. It's terrible. But we must remember this. How many warnings had God given to Pharaoh? Warning after warning. God did everything to try to persuade them. And we could stand back and say, look how violent and look how horrible God is here. But you'd be wrong to think that. Because this is an act of a just God against real human evil. And it is preceded by his unbelievable mercy and repeated attempts to call Pharaoh to change. How long is God under any obligation to contend with Pharaoh to persuade him? It's only after Pharaoh chooses again and again to ignore God that God finally says, okay, this is what you've chosen and now you will have it. Look at verse 30. Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. In Exodus 2.23, Israel had cried out for deliverance. In Exodus 5, they had cried out wrongly to Pharaoh for relief. Israel has cried out again and again, and Pharaoh had made them cry in agony as he had killed their sons as he had brought them into slavery. And now Pharaoh's evil has come back upon his own head and upon the people that he is to lead. God, It's like God saying, now Pharaoh, you will experience the evil that you have done upon yourself and upon your people. Verse 31. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up. Go out from among my people, both of you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said, take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. Do you see what Pharaoh said? Rise and go out. Moses had come months before. Let my people go. And Pharaoh had said, no, 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 no. And now, just as God had said, Pharaoh is demanding that they go. And notice verse 32, and bless me also. Finally, Pharaoh knows who the Lord is. He didn't know or care about Yahweh. Now he cares. It's like he's saying, Moses, I recognize now. Your God is not just one God among mine. He is greater than all my gods. Please bless me also. And on that day is a terrible tragedy crippled Egypt in every home that didn't trust in God's Passover sacrifice. And so we must ask, are we going to trust in God's Passover sacrifice for us in Christ? And I'm not suggesting that uh, there's a calamity coming in your life, but we need to trust in God's Passover sacrifice for us. We need to trust in Jesus And I do know that one day there will be a judgment 
and we will stand before God. And I know on that day, when the Father looks at me, he will see the blood of the Son applied to my heart and to my life. And he will pass over any judgment for my sin because I've been covered by the blood of Jesus. And I will take that over his judgment. I will take the love and the grace that he's extended to me and receive that. And I pray today that you have received that as well. It comes to applying the blood of Jesus to the doorposts of our life, of our hearts. It has to do with accepting his atoning sacrifice for our sins. And God gives you the choice, just like he gives to Pharaoh here. You can accept it or reject it. If you reject it, well, as uh, Pastor Guzik said when uh, he was preaching this passage, and I'm lifting some of his points for my sermon today, God gives you the choice to accept it or reject it. And if you reject it, well, what possible excuse could you have? Has it not been shown clearly enough? It's all through his word. It's all through my sermon today and the best that I've tried to express uh, these truths. The best that I can. And if you decide to reject Jesus today, that is not on me or on the word. You have heard it today. It's been explained to you clearly enough, I think, so that you can't stand before God someday and say, I was never told. If you've heard this message today, then you know you've been told. Christ came to die for your sins. He shed his blood, but you need to apply that grace to your life and receive his salvation, his forgiveness, to be cleansed of your sins, and then to begin to walk in a newness of life. And that's God's heart for you because he loves you. Remember, God's heart is not just about the Passover, but to launch Israel out into a glorious freedom of new life and that's what the Passover is all about in Christ, becoming new creation, redeemed and ready to be used by God for the, the, the good plans and purposes he has for us. And so I encourage you to come to Jesus today, our true Passover lamb. At our uh, 9 and 11 a.m. services, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper. And I encourage you, that those of you that are able to, to come out to a, uh, one of our actual corporate a physical worship service gathering so we can share together in the Lord's Supper because it's so important as an act of worship. I often think this is the perhaps the one major act of worship that Jesus calls us to, is to eat this meal together. So friends, I want to bless you today that you would remember to apply the blood of Jesus to your life, to embrace God's Passover lamb who shed his blood for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And Lord, I pray today for my friends, each one that's listening, that they would be moved by your Holy Spirit, Lord, to, to know the depth of our own sin and to know also, Lord, the, how much you love them. I pray for those that may be listening who have never come and given their hearts to you, Lord, and I pray today that you would draw them to yourself, that they would come and say, Lord, I need you in my life. I want to be freed and forgiven of my sins. God, come and cleanse me and make me new today. Lord, for those of us who have walked with you for many years, we need to be reminded of the central truth of the gospel, that you, Jesus, love us. You came, you died, and you rose again so that we could be freed and forgiven and brought into new life. And Lord, I pray today 
that we would remember that you shed your blood for our sins so that we could be free. And may we live out that truth and be transformed and changed at the new life that you call us to by your Holy Spirit. We ask these things in your name. Amen.